Exodus chapter 4. Those of you who worship here regularly will know that I started a series uh, three weeks or four weeks back uh, looking at Moses. And uh, this morning we've got to Exodus 4 and I'm fascinated by uh, the word that Stuart has just brought to us and how Simon has endorsed that. That whole sense of God calling us into something fresh. And of course, that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at the call of Moses thus far. Uh, we've spent three weeks looking at that. We saw how, by faith, he refused to have the identity that Egypt wanted to give him. Uh, and then we saw that he rushed ahead of God and, and the dangers of just going ahead of God, just thinking, well, I can do this. And he came unstuck. And then last time we saw uh, the bush that suddenly glowed with holy glory and a voice called him uh, out from that bush and he got a fresh commission. Moses, Moses, I've called you. Uh, Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. There's a real God encounter. And uh, as Simon was saying and as was coming through from Stuart, God's got fresh things for us. We may not be a Moses, but if we're going to be a many-membered body, then we all have to find what is it God's got for us. And we can find our identity as we line up with what God says to people as he calls them. So chapter 4 starts actually not necessarily in the way we would expect it. I mean, if you had an encounter with God, if you, if you heard God speak to you and say, I've got a call for you, I've got a special commission for you, you might think, yes, Lord, I'm up for that. How exciting, can't wait. But the response is very different to that. And uh, I want to suggest to you that there are things in his life that hold him back. And very often that's true of us. That God gives us a fresh invitation. But somehow it, we, we have some history. We have previous experience and it clouds our ability to respond. And that's what we find in this man. So I'm going to read the whole chapter through to remind us of what happened in Exodus 4. Then Moses said, What if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord hasn't appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom when he took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he did, and when he took it out, Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they'll not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they'll not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you should take some water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently, nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. For I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. But he said, Please, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. Moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him. Put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you're to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people. And he will be as a mouth for you. And you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brothers who are in Egypt, and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and mounted them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power, but I will harden his heart, so that he'll not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But you've refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about at a lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and worshipped. Father, we just come before this same wonderful God, we thank you for your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. You will take this word, Lord, and speak to us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come rest on us, Lord. Come be our teacher. I pray that you will help us to step into the future that you have for us. Help us to close the door on our past that we might engage with you in the story that you have written for us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So here we have this chosen instrument, and of course we know as uh, Moses, the famous uh, man of the Bible, amazing experience of life he had, but here's a very significant turning point. Is he going to respond or not? We've seen hitherto uh, his own desire to serve God. We see how he blundered. We've seen how now God's revealed himself. But instead of saying yes, we find the chapter begins with, but what if? What if? And there's that serious hesitation. I want to suggest to you that that is often the situation with us. God begins to initiate with us. He begins to speak to us. He begins to invite us into what he has for us. And very often, there's a kind of a resistance in our heart. See, Moses didn't have a clean sheet. It wasn't like, well, here you are, God. Here's the clean sheet. Write on there what you want to write on there. It was that there was already some writing on the page. Things that had happened in the past which prevented him from responding enthusiastically. And to be honest, that can be the case with us. Things that have happened to us which make us doubt our ability to do what he wants to do through us. Make us doubt, will we find him faithful? Can we go on this adventure? And I think it's a bit like we've got chains around our ankles. God's inviting us to come but we don't feel we can come. And I've been praying so much that this morning we might, by the end of this meeting, leave lots of, as it were, invisible chains on the floor and say, as we go out of the door, hey, I've left that behind me, I'm ready, I'm up for it. Whatever God's got for me, I'm up for it. And the things that were making me scared, reluctant, uncertain, I've left them. I'm going with God. And I've been praying that will happen, that we'll, that we'll, we'll walk away from those chains today, even as by the end of the chapter we find that's what happened to Moses. By the end of the chapter, he's on course. But it's actually a very serious time where he's meeting with God and talking things through. So first of all, he has to discern the difference between doing something in his own strength and doing something because God is calling him. The, this, the, the difference between, well, I'm having a go, I'm trying to do it. And when God says, no, I have seen the plight of my people, I have heard their cry, and I have come down to deliver them. This is God speaking. I have come down to deliver them, and I am going to use you. To be honest, that changes everything. It puts into insignificance our previous experience because God is taking a fresh initiative. It's God who's going to do it. It's going to take power. It's going to take God doing a phenomenal thing to smash the power of Egypt and bring out a slave community and make them completely free. It's something only God can do. And when God steps on the scene, everything else fades into insignificance. So that's the picture that Simon spoke to us about recently or a moment ago when he spoke about Joshua. When he's looking at Jericho, he thinks, how on earth can we take this city? But actually now he's had an encounter with one he has bowed before. He's seen God in all that God brings to the situation, which makes everything else shrink. And that's what's got to happen to Moses here because he's seen the burning bush. He's heard the voice. But he needs to get free from well, what it was before. I've tried before and it doesn't work. I've tried before and it didn't happen for me. I tried to free them. I stepped out from the palace. I refused to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I, I took the risk. I stepped out from my comfort zone and it all went wrong. I could easily have changed, stayed there. I could have acted as though I was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I could have come to a position of authority. I could have changed the rules 
about slaves. I could have changed the law. I could have, I could have acted from a position of comfort. But I didn't. I risked everything. I stepped out. I, I identified with them. And it all went wrong. And we can do things like that. We can think, well, I'm trying. And it, it didn't work. I remember a dear friend of mine. And uh, he, had, he had a child that lived 13 weeks. And, and it was a very sickly child right from the beginning. Uh, they called it a blue baby. The skin color was strange. It was head was very swollen. Uh, and we would pray for her from time to time. I remember once I was in, 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 praying with him, as it happens, and his wife came in with this little baby, and she said, oh, please pray for her now. She looked so blue. I mean, she looked a frightening color. Uh, and we prayed. We were already praying. We were kind of in the sense of God's presence. Uh, and we laid hands on and prayed for her. And when I opened my eyes... She was pink. I thought, God, you've done it. You've done it. And I was so excited. And I went home to my parents, who were as then unsaved. And I said, God has healed Christina. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her. God's healed her. About three days later, she passed away. And I thought, I'll never do that again. I'm never, I'll never do that again. I'll never... And you know, when you have something where you've kind of gone out on a limb, you, maybe you witnessed at work, maybe you, thought, you felt stirred, I'm, I'm going to share Jesus with people. And you kind of go out on a limb and it all goes bad. They turn on you. They, when they ask you questions you can't answer. And they, they, they attack you and you think, oh God, I wish I... And then they kind of stand off you from then. You're the religious guy and you think, boy, I won't do that again. I won't do that again. Or maybe, maybe, maybe we tried to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe we tried to interpret a tongue or prophesy or do one of these other supernatural things the Bible speaks about. And, and we think, oh, I don't know, I think I came unstuck. I, I'm, not, I'm not going there again. I'm not going there again. There's a sense which when Stuart says what he did about God wants to give multiplied gifts, you think, you know, that's for other people. I've been there, tried that, doesn't work for me. And beloved, if we live there, that's the end of the story. If this, if this chapter, if God had not continued persuading Moses, that's the end of the story. No, done that, being there, no thank you. We have to see the difference between, yeah, we tried before, but now it's God who's saying, come on. Just as we've even heard in the meeting this morning, come on, I've got fresh things for you. God is saying, I've got something for you. I'm the initiator. If God's the initiator, it kind of changes everything. We can say, yes, Lord. It's not me putting my foot in the water thinking, oh no, I don't think I'll try that. Maybe this morning you can think of things you've tried. You think, oh, I don't know, it went wrong for me. I don't. It's possible, dear friends, to stay a Christian, keep coming to meetings, but never go out into the place where your wings begin to move. You know, you kind of stay on the ground. <laughs> And the Bible says he's given us, he makes us rise up on wings of eagles. He, he's calling us into another dimension in all so many different ways. So many diverse ways. He's giving us a call into it. And we say, no, no, I've done that before. It doesn't work for me. And this morning, God wants to cut you free from that. Because we want to go on with the story of Moses. We want to see what God's going to do. God wants us to have many stories. So he doesn't want us to say, no, no, don't, don't count me in. So he has to, has to turn away from, it went wrong before. Will you do that this morning? Will you say, right, at the end of this meeting, I will step away. 
I'm not going to let previous experience hold me back. Will you do that today? Also, we see here, I think, kind of hints of resentment, actually. It's like, well, what if they don't believe me? It's like, they didn't believe me before. I mean, he took a big risk for them. And they turned against him. And they're supposed to be brothers. This is, he says, don't fight. Your brothers don't fight with one another. They turned on him and said, who made you a ruler? You're going to kill us like they did the Egyptians? You think Moses, Moses is risking everything to stand with you and you turn on him. You think, man, I, Moses had 40 years to think about that. 40 years as he's wandering around in the desert looking after a few sheep. And he used to be a prince. And he's lost it all. Everything's lost. And I guess so many times he could have thought, I could have stayed in the palace. I could have stayed in the palace. And look what they did to me. My brothers. Maybe there was real resentment. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. It says, says, don't let a root of bitterness grow up and spoil many. That's the sad thing about bitterness. It, It does spoil other people. If you think about what we just read about his home, his wife doesn't seem a picture of all joy and happiness, does she? You're a bridegroom of blood to me. It's not a very happy home. You know, this is the bitterness has grown up. It's like, why am I here? I'm here because of their sin. The way they treated me. Beloved, that may be why you're as you are at the moment, because you can say, well, if it wasn't for him... I wouldn't be in this situation. If it wasn't for her. See, some of us, can know, we know that. We've got pain in our lives. We think, he cheated me. And he said he was a Christian. He led me down the path. He made me think. And then he dropped me. Or he drew me into that business deal. And I trusted him. And he ripped me off. And he's a deacon. He's a Christian. He's a brother. See, dear friends, we can, we can carry things in our heart and it's so important we cut ourselves free by forgiving. You have to release it through forgiveness. It's hard, it's so hard because you feel, you feel, no, it's not fair. It's just not fair. I, did the, I know I did the right thing. He did the wrong thing. Why should I forgive? But beloved, somehow you feel as though you're in authority when you won't forgive. When you feel, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let him off. But the fact is, when you won't let him off, it's like you're carrying these chains with you all your life. Because you're not going to let him off. And you think you've got authority in the situation, but actually, it's crippling you. And here's Moses saying, well, what if they won't believe me? They didn't before. They didn't respond before. And they're my brothers. See, we can live with things like that. They spoke against me, and they're supposed to be Christian. And sometimes it gets even more terrible. He did that to me and he's my father. If I told you what my uncle, my stepfather did to me, you'd understand I can't forgive him. And so it's hard sometimes. But it's so important, dear friends, that we release people through forgiveness. We put it away from us. Otherwise it's just a chain. And the Bible's so clear about it, you have to forgive, you have to walk away free. And there's a sense in which you say, well, it's not fair. No, it isn't fair. But Jesus, it wasn't fair that he took our sin. 
And he's inviting us into that same liberty of saying, okay, I, I let it go, I forgive. It's the great miracle of forgiveness. Sometimes we see it on our news programs when there's a terrible thing that happens and a Christian, maybe wife of a man who got killed and she says, I have forgiven. And they say, how do they do that? It's a Christian miracle, dear friends. It's a Christian miracle. It's because we've been overwhelmed by what Jesus did on the cross. It's had such a profound effect on us that we do find we can forgive. He's forgiven us. And because of that, it's like a channel of mercy does flow through us. And if you frustrate that, if you hold back that river of mercy that God wants to flow through you, it clogs you up. Is you the one that stays in chains? So this morning, will you forgive? You see, sometimes it can be like an offence against God even. Moses could have thought, well, I did this for your sake, Lord. And we can even be offended. I mean, we're in the meeting, we're here, but down inside there's a kind of an offence against God. Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended in me. See, John the Baptist is in prison, things are all going pear shape, and what's going on, Jesus? Jesus sends back this message, and he says, no, blessed is he who's not offended in me. John's in prison. All he did was serve God. He did brilliantly. He's in prison now. And Jesus says, blessed is he who's not offended. Beloved, if you know, if you know offense, and somebody says, well, God, you should, why didn't you turn up, Lord? Why didn't you do something more? Come on, let's walk away from that. Will you do that this morning? Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I just, I don't understand it. You see, sometimes we feel like we can say to God, you explain it to me and I'm all right. But God, God doesn't even owe us an explanation. That amazing book of Job, if you've read it, I mean, this poor guy goes through so much. He's almost saying, I want an explanation, and God doesn't give him one. He's just, listen, where were you when I did this and this and this? And, and Job suddenly realizes, hey, I'm, I'm, you're in a, another league. I don't need an answer. Will you say that this morning? I don't need an answer, Lord. I trust you. Because God's calling us. So let's not miss it. Let's not miss it through these kind of attitudes. Let's beware also being just passive when he, he kind of thought, well, you know, I'm looking. God says, I've got a great story for you. Well, I'm looking after a few sheep. <laughs> and imagine, you know, get up in the morning. For 40 years? What shall I do today? He says, he looked after a few sheep. Went round the mountain with a few sheep, you know. Got a great plan for you. Oh yeah, look after the sheep. Go around the mountain with the sheep. You know, I used to catch the 737. So I still remember the time from Brighton to London 50 years ago, whatever it was. I think it's that, that time's etched in my memory. 737, yeah, get up in the morning, catch the 737 to Victoria. I have a great plan. Oh yeah. Beware passivity. Beware, well, it can't be me. Beware also a kind of false humility. Now, we just have to be careful with this. Moses says, I can't speak. Now, before, he was mighty in word. God has humbled him. But now, he's hiding behind it, actually. He's saying, I can't speak. I, no, not me. So somebody else, not me. I can't. Send, send, send Aaron. Send somebody else. I can't do it. 
Now we just need to be very careful because that can be kind of applauded sometimes. Oh, what a lovely, humble man. Now we just need to be careful when God's saying, I'm calling you, and we say, no, I can't. That may sound humble, but God was angry. Now later on, God celebrates the fact that Moses is the meekest man in all the earth. There was a genuine humility about him. But at this point in time, hear me? At this point, he's hiding behind, I can't do it, so that he doesn't have to be obedient. And that is not true humility. When God says, come with me, and you say, no, I can't, that's not humility. That's disobedience. And, and it can masquerade as humility. And that can leave us in real danger where we, when we, we kind of hide. And I want to just develop this for a minute because I think this is something that robs Christians of the possibility of doing the will of God. That you can cultivate through different fragments of things that get said a perspective that says, no, not me. And, and really, isn't that the best thing to say anyway? This is my hiding place, not me. Not me. So, just let me give you some of the fragments of things we sometimes hear. It's like my saying to Robin, or one of the musicians this morning, uh, hey, well done, that was brilliant, really appreciated it. And sometimes the answer is, uh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You know, you, you feel like saying, who played the wrong note? No, not that I heard any, okay. <laughs> or, or, when it's a, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, you feel like, the Lord? I mean, it was good, but the Lord, it wasn't that good. <laughs> so, but people often say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Don't they? It's like, don't, don't, don't praise me. Now, just be careful. Let me, let, let me develop this. I used to preach in, um, when I first started preaching, I used to preach in a lot of Baptist churches, and there's a big pulpit, and you go and pray in the deacon's room beforehand. And uh, sometimes they pray over you, and they pray this prayer. Oh, God, hide the preacher today. We would see Jesus. I mean, I heard that prayer so many times, and it was very often prayed. And a friend of mine said, if they pray that prayer over me again... I'm going straight into the meeting. I'm going to say, let us pray. And when they all bow their heads, I'm going down under the pulpit. <laughs> he said, let's see how we, they get on without me. <laughs> and sometimes it actually has it carved into the wood of pulpits. Sir, we would see Jesus. You think, well, sorry, you're stuck with me. Right? Now, now we, we understand what they're saying. We understand... They're communicating something that they're looking more, they're looking for something more than a personality. They're looking for... We understand that. But the danger is, we begin to build, like, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. We don't want you, we want the Lord. And so, and then you get this latest one I've heard where uh, people say this, God is looking for a faceless army. Have you heard that one? God wants a faceless army. God wants a faceless army. Okay? It's like, what is it saying? It's saying this, God delights in anonymity. He doesn't want you. He just wants what you can do. God loves anonymity. He doesn't want your personality. Now that's what's implied. But beloved, if that were true, why is the Bible full of these long lists of names? I mean, chapter after embarrassing chapter. And if you're a preacher, you think, oh, wonderful. God doesn't want all the names. Hallelujah. Let's tear those out then, because I can't pronounce any of them. 
So, but God, God, God doesn't seem to be threatened by personalities. In fact, when you read the story of David, you read about his mighty men. And they've all got weird names. They said one went and fought against a lion, one slew three hundred. One. It's like, hold on, God's not wanting. No, he he doesn't seem to mind. God gives name after name after name after name. And even has names with meanings. Anonymity. It's kind of, it's don't, not me, I couldn't do it. And that, well done, you said it, you said the right thing. No, 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 careful. There's a danger there. There's a danger there that says, I don't matter, I don't count. Saint Ignatius of Loyola you may have heard that name, you may not. He founded the Jesuit movement and he gave the church a famous prayer. He said this, We do all this not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. Now that sounds very, very holy. We're not looking for any reward. We're just doing, we're just, it's like we, we don't count. Now, that's very holy, but it's holier than the Holy Bible. Because it says about Moses, if you read on in Hebrews, I was reading in it this week, this week looking at Hebrews, it says, Moses ultimately says, he left everything behind looking for the reward. Looking for the reward. And so that concept, well, you see the danger difference is that you say, well, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. We don't want you, we want the Lord. Faceless army. Like, it doesn't matter. And we're not, we're not looking for any reward anyway. It's only God. So we don't count. So send somebody else. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches every one of us will give an account to God. So if you take these little fragments and put them together, you construct a kind of theology of, a kind of popular theology that it doesn't matter really. But that's not what the Bible says. At all. In fact, I'm just going to read quickly from 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says this. He's built, he says, I've laid a foundation. If any man... Verse 12 says, you build on it with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. All these different things. You can build with those things. Every man works, he will build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it. Because it's to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's ever so important to hear that. So that it's, it's not right to say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, I don't count, I don't count, we're not looking for any reward. That whole atmosphere that's communicated there is not biblical. The Bible says every one of us will stand before God. Our lives will be tested by fire. What we did, what we did will be tested by fire. Now this isn't about salvation. He says quite plainly, he says that, that some will suffer loss, though, though you yourself will be saved. We're not talking about salvation. Salvation is something God has secured for us. He's given us eternal life. We've passed from death into life. Hallelujah. We have the guarantee in our hearts of the Spirit. 
That's a done deal. God's done that for us. That's what it says repeatedly in the Bible. But it does say this, that our works will be tested with fire. And the fire will test the quality. And some will prove to be gold. Some will prove to be straw. And it's going to be fire tested. It's a bit like when Jesus went to the temple. It says he sat opposite the, where the guys were giving. It says that a guy came in with a great big gift. And, and he gave it very ostentatiously. It's like, I'm just generous the way I am. And, 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 that, and then it says a poor woman comes in. She's got two coins and she doesn't want anybody seeing. And she slips the two coins in. And then it's like Jesus said, let, and it, let the fire fall. And the fire kind of falls on that event. And you know, when the smoke's cleared, it, where's that guy's gift gone? I mean, it was huge. No, it was straw. That's how God viewed it. It was kind of surplus to requirements. It was irrelevant. There was no heart in it. The woman gave all she had. Well, it's like nothing, but it's all she had. Let the fire fall on that. Then it's like, let the smoke clear. Wow, gold, silver. See, Jesus is giving us, in a moment of time, an example of what it's going to be like for you and for me when we stand before God. The fire will test the quality of every man's work. Then every man will get his praise from God. Some will suffer loss. Loss of one. No, no, we're not. We're saved. But we don't understand what it all means. But some will suffer loss and one will, some will be rewarded in eternal glory. There is relevance, dear friends. So this, this other teaching, it robs us of our nerve. It robs us of biblical responsibility. It makes you say, it doesn't matter. We're just shells. Channels only, blessed Master, with all your wondrous power flowing through us. We're just channels. No, we're not. We're people who will give account. So when Moses says to somebody else, he's, hey, careful, Moses, you're going to miss God. Miss God. So how does Paul respond to this? Well, it's, it's clear in 1 Corinthians 4. I've just read 1 Corinthians 3 to you, and he says this. In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 4, it's a very small thing I should be examined by you or any human court. I don't even examine myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, but I'm not by that acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. Then this very important verse, verse 5. Do not go on passing judgment, that is on one another, before the time. But wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts then each man's praise will come to him from God. So Paul is saying to these Corinthians who keep complaining against him, so I'm not really worried about what you think of me. They didn't think much of Paul. I don't care what you think of me. I'm not, I, I, that's not my point. My, more the point is this. Don't go on passing judgment. That should be characteristic of the church of God. We don't judge one another. But he takes most, much more seriously. Wait till the Lord comes, who will bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. So you don't know my motive for standing here. 
You don't know my motive for going to the USA last week. And Paul's almost saying, I don't. I don't even judge myself. He said, the day will come when God will disclose the motives. He'll bring out from the darkness into the light and say, that's why you did it. That's why you did it. You like going in aeroplanes. You like standing on platforms. And if that's it, it's gone. It's smoke. It's dust. It's straw. If we do it just to get response, we do it for self-importance, we do it for other people's praise, it's gone. It's a waste of time. So we just have to say, Lord, I want to live for you. And we must not hide behind, oh, let somebody else do it, because it doesn't matter. It does matter. We're missing it. We're missing what the, verse, the, the Bible's saying here. So, beloved, if you know that's you, why don't you this morning say, hey, I want to turn my back on that. See, when, when St. Ignatius of Loyola says, I'm not looking for any reward. And what does the last verse in the Bible say? Jesus says this, I am coming and my reward is with me to give to everyone what he's done. That's the last shout of the Bible. I'm coming, my reward is with me. I want to give rewards. You know, gonna, who's going to, unless St. Ignatius or us, we're going to take him aside. Uh, Jesus, hold on, hold on. Oh, Jesus, hold on. Have a seat. Um, we just want to, I mean, rewards, I mean, really. We think we've got a better ethic than that. We really feel that's not, come on, Lord, let's teach you about this. Anyone going to volunteer? I am coming, my reward is with me. Do you think, who do you think got it wrong? Jesus or Ignatius? We, we just got to live in the light of this, beloved. Otherwise you just get careless and think it's holy. You get indifferent and you think, I'm being very Christian. I don't care. Man, we are so out of step with what it actually says. I, I don't want the stuff I do to go up in smoke. Do you? I want to count. And it says he'll bring to light the motives of men's hearts. And beloved, when God speaks to us this morning, he says, I've got all kinds of ministries for you. And Stuart said they're so diverse, administrative, prophetic, evangelistic, all sorts of giftings. They're very diverse. Hospitality is a wonderful Bible gift. We want to do it for God. But he's pleased with it. Not we hide and say, well, let somebody else do it. We're out of step. Moses has got to get through that. And then one last thing before we finish. We read the whole chapter. I did that quite deliberately. Come to that very peculiar verse that's hard to understand. Where it says in verse 24, the Lord drew near to kill him. What? What on earth? He's got this word for Pharaoh. Let my people go. It's a kind of stern word. And then God draws near to kill Moses. What? What's that about? God killed Moses. 
Well, it doesn't say, it doesn't, it doesn't enlarge, it doesn't say like it was in David's day when David saw kind of an invisible angel with sword drawn over Jerusalem and he saw God was going to slaughter people. He saw something, he saw a divine action, David saw it. Doesn't say, doesn't say a sword drew over, doesn't tell us. Or was he suddenly very ill and, and they knew he was going to die from sickness but they knew it was God? Doesn't, it doesn't explain it, it just says the Lord drew near to kill him. Why? Well, I want to suggest to you, Moses is the great lawgiver of the Bible. Moses and law go hand in hand. He's famously the one who gave the law. And so far, there's only one law to keep. Circumcision. It's the only, only instruction they've been given. You must circumcise your child on the eighth day. It goes right back to Abraham. And here's this man who most of all will be associated with don't do this, don't do this. He's the lawman. The lawman back at home doesn't keep the law. The lawman hasn't obeyed in his home. He hasn't circumcised his son. And then the story says quite simply, his wife, Zipporah, circumcises the boy and the Lord draws back. It's like, that's the issue. The issue is circumcision. And, and it's like, Moses, you're my lawgiver, and there's only one law, and you're not keeping it. Does God see anything in your home, in your life? You say, well, you need Jesus. Come on, is Jesus in here? Is Jesus there? Is he, is he Lord? Is he running things in your home? So it's no good us telling other people if back at home, when no one's looking, then we're, we're into all kinds of stuff. Because we've got this world we live in, and then there's the public world. And Moses is as good as dead. And they deal with it quickly. You say, why? Why was he doing this? Well, maybe, maybe he did it to keep his wife happy. He says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me because of the circumcision. In other words, he has gone outside of Israel. He's married a woman who's not an Israelite. She doesn't like circumcision. Maybe on the eighth day, he says, I've got to circumcise. No, you're not going to touch my boy. Oh, okay, well, okay, keep the peace. I won't obey God. See, we can get into situations like that. In our work, in our business, our home. And also, we say, well, if I obey God, I'll get into trouble. If I obey God, I'll offend her, I'll offend him. I could lose him. I could lose this relationship. And God is saying, come on, come on, to be useful to me. To be useful to me, be obedient. And notice this, it's not like God even had to say what it was. God didn't say, you have not circled. They knew what it was. When God drew near, they knew what it was. When God drew near, quick, circumcise the boy. It's like we can do it when God's not near. But when God comes near, I long for, God's got more for us, eh? God's got more for us. God wants to draw near. God wants us to be a voice. God's saying, come on. Come on, the regimental colors are going up. I've got something for you. Let's not say, well, I'm for that, but 
back at home, I compromise in my own personal life. So I dealt dealt with it. I cut off the foreskin. I dealt with the issue. Circumcised the boy immediately. Will you do that this morning? We say, Lord, I don't want anything holding me back. I don't want anything holding me back. And then we find this beautiful thing. Aaron comes to meet him. Aaron is the great high priest. He's like Jesus. I find this difference. When I sort things out, it's like Jesus comes to me afresh. Don't you find that? It's like, well, I know Jesus, but when, when, when I, sometimes it's when you feel like you're most disqualified and so raw. It's, that's when Jesus is more real than any other time. It's kind of incidental much of the time. And then you deal with something in your life. And suddenly, he's right there. And it says, Aaron came to him. I love it. It says, he embraced him and kissed him. I thought, well, that's just like Jesus. I find that's just like Jesus. When, when I come back to Jesus from really bad, it's like he embraces us. That's the wonderful personal nature of our faith. Jesus comes to you. Would you like him to come to you this morning? He came and embraced and kissed him. And then it says, and they went on together. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Go out of that door this morning, leave the chains on the floor, and go out with Jesus into a new day. That's what God's offering us this morning. Saying, Lord, I give you... I just We sang it... It's a wonderful time this morning, Robin. <laughs> What's <Well, it's> you? <laughs> and you guys who practice and work hard and make it happen. See, it's not, it wasn't me. No, no, it was you. Thank you for the hours you put in. Thank you for the practice. Thank you for learning to play instruments. Thank you for serving us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's not that, oh, it wasn't me. It's, it was you. You're doing great. Come on, let's step up. We're doing it for Jesus' glory. But let's live honestly before him. Let's stand.